very, a very good afternoon, everyone. Just uh, in order to keep the time, we'll, we'll see if we can make a start. Just as people are gathering and finding their seats. So I just want to uh, uh, offer you a very warm welcome here uh, this lunchtime to our uh, Gospel in the City traditional carol service. Uh, so good to see you come and we're delighted that you've been able to take time out of your uh, lunch times uh, to come and to celebrate the birth of Jesus um, by singing carols and uh, reading some of the familiar story uh, from the Bible and also having that explained to us a little later by Steve, who, who you'll meet a little later. Um, so hopefully you'll have an order of service there on your seats and uh, we, will, we will proceed uh, unannounced. So do keep a hold of that and that'll keep you right. And um, really, without any further ado then, uh, perhaps as we begin, uh, we'll stand and uh, we'll sing our first carol, O Come All Ye Faithful.
The first reading is from Isaiah 9, 2, 6 to 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the seal of, Lord, of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, 
an angel of the Lord appeared to him in, the, in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's lovely to be with you today. My name's Steve Auld. I'm the pastor at Great Victoria Street Baptist Church, just down the road from here. And uh, it is a real honor for me to be with you today to share this brief Christmas devotional thought right here in the midst of our days, in the midst of the city. I want you to imagine this scene with me. It was the 1st of December, the first day of Advent. Our kids were in bed early. My wife Lindsay and I had the fire lit, a cup of tea, some lint chocolate, and a little Advent devotional book called Good News of Great Joy. We decided to read this together to just have some Christmas reflections to prepare ourselves as we were moving through December towards Christmas Day. And I think as we opened that little Advent reflection book on the 1st of December, we were expecting something cozy, fuzzy, nice. You know, we, we were all Christmassy, the fire was lit, everything was nice and, nice, and I think we wanted a nice, cozy, traditional Christmas devotional thought that would warm our hearts. And then we read the opening section of the first chapter of the book, 
and it said simply this. Christmas is an indictment before it becomes a true delight. And we kind of rocked back for a moment, I think, because the word indictment simply means accusation of wrongdoing. And here was us in our nice cozy setting, hoping for something cozy and warm, and just smacked with this sharp-edged idea that you have to see Christmas as an indictment before you know it as a true delight. And yet, as my wife and I reflected on that statement, we started to think, do you know what, that, that actually is true. It's profound and profoundly true. Think about it for a moment. Just before and around the birth of Jesus Christ, historically recorded in the Gospels, we read of all these heralds, announcements of the birth of Jesus Christ. Just like when you see the royal baby being born in the royal family, there's a guy there, and hear ye, hear ye, and he heralds forth the birth of the royal son or daughter. In the Gospels, we get these heralding announcements that speak to us in Jesus. And consider it for a moment. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, the angels speak to the shepherds, and they say, Behold, we bring you good news of great joy for all people. For today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. A Savior has been born. Or think of Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the verses that were just read. Mary and Joseph were told in the angelic announcement, you shall give him the name Jesus, which means he saves. It was a popular name of the day. And just like we have little mugs that might say my name, Stephen, which means king, by the way, you would have the name Jesus on a mug and it would say underneath in little speech marks, he saves. That was the meaning of the name Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, both of these announcements presuppose that humanity is in a predicament that they need to be saved from. Have you ever thought about that? The announcements of the coming of the baby Jesus into the world are the announcements of a saviour being born, which presupposes that we need to be saved. Humanity needs to be saved from something. You never send an ambulance. An ambulance never goes out into a situation where there's no crisis. A lifeguard doesn't jump into a swimming pool when there's no one drowning. So we have to ask for a moment, okay, if Jesus is announced as a saviour, what is it that we need to be saved from? What is our predicament? Well, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 that we read is very, very clear. You shall call his name Jesus, he saves, because he will save his people from their sins. So we have to ask another question. What does the angel mean when this announcement comes? He will save his people from their sins. What is sin? Well, very simply, I think a way to summarize some of the Bible's teaching 
on sin would be to say the following. Sin is simply rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created. Sin is pushing God away. Call it unbelief or indifference or agnosticism or whatever you want, but ultimately sin is the act of of kind of pushing God away so that we can be our own masters. One author I read earlier this year in another little Advent devotional has said it like this, our big problem as humans is that we are glory thieves. We keep inserting ourselves in the center of all of our stories and we just want people to give us glory. We want the glory to fall on us. We want to be our own masters. We want to be in control of our lives. We have to ask another question. Well, why is that such a problem? Why is sin such a problem? Is it not okay to want to be my own master? Is it not okay to push God away so that I can just live my life the way I want to? Can you not just leave me alone to do that? Well, I think there are two problems that the Bible presents with the reality of our sin, our act of rejecting and ignoring God. Problem one is simply this. If God is the author of life and has given us a moral law to guide us into a place of flourishing as humans, and we are simply rejecting and pushing him away, this rejection of him is deeply offensive to God. Our sin, the Bible tells us, offends God and actually leads to a big separation between us and God. We were created to enjoy life and peace in a relationship with God, but our sin just messes that up. Our sin angers God and has broken the relationship we were created for. That's the first problem with sin, if you're going to accept the Bible's teaching in a Christian worldview. Pushing God away and rejecting him, if he is indeed the author of our life and our maker, is deeply offensive to him, and that is a problem for us. But second, by pushing God away, We think we will be free and happy to live our lives the way we want to. If you want to put it like this, we think we can control our borders, our laws, and our finances. But by making ourselves our own masters, we don't seem to make ourselves more secure. In fact, making yourself your own master seems to have the opposite effect of making you inherently insecure. At Queen's, I studied social anthropology and philosophy. And I remember one lecture where our philosophy teacher introduced us to something called existential dread. I wonder if you ever heard of this. It simply means this. Historically, um, in a sense, humanity in the Western philosophical world anyway, has kind of rubbed out God. The German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche proclaimed, God is dead and we have killed him. And what he was saying in a sense was, the idea of an absolute scary God and an absolute scary moral lawgiver, we've got rid of that primitive idea so we're free to make our own morality, chart our own course in the world. And initially, I think that is an attractive idea. As humans, this big scary moral lawgiver, we get rid of him and we're free. Yes, I can just make up my own morality, go my own way. And there's a great sense of liberation in that. But it just takes you to go, go, go to sleep for one night and then wake up the next day and think, whoa, hang on, I'm free? 
to make up my own morality. Humanity is free to make up our own morality. What a responsibility. How how do I know I'm going to get it right? In fact, if I choose for me and this person chooses for them and our choices of what is morally good are different, who gets to say what is morally good and what is morally bad? And this leads to what we call existential dread. We, we have this elation that we're free, but then suddenly we realize, whoa, we're free. And we find inherent insecurity when we push away God and an absolute moral law. The Bible uses the metaphor of darkness to explain this problem of our insecurity because of sin. It speaks of us dwelling in a land of darkness, like the passage that we read in Isaiah 9 says. One early church father, Augustine, put it like this. He said, because of sin, our hearts are restless. We lack peace. And this is what I'm saying is the second big problem with pushing God away. We enter into a place of restlessness. And we, each of us, can try to suppress that restlessness with work, money, relationships, entertainment, or family around us. But in the end, nothing seems to still that raging, subtle sea of restlessness within our hearts. So, I'm saying this, in a sense, is the indictment of Christmas. You and I have a great problem. We have rejected and pushed our maker away. Instead of turning to the one who is light, we have embraced the darkness. And not only does that offend God, it makes us deep down, if we are really honest, behind that big confident persona, it makes us inherently insecure. Unless you realize the problem the indictment of Christmas, you will never fully know the delight that the birth of Jesus, the Savior, brings. Your Christmas will only be about stress, busyness, presents, and another year of watching the Vicar of Dibley eat more dinners and watching Rodney and Dell dressed up as Batman and Robin running down the street in the Only Fools and Horses Christmas special. But here is the delight, the good news that we celebrate at Christmas. God, out of love, seeing humanity in their plight of sin and darkness, sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save us from darkness and our problem of sin, separation from God, and death. Jesus came to save us from the mess of offending God and our inherent insecurity because of our rejection of God. Isaiah put it like this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. In what form? For to us a child is born, a son is given. Or John, in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 9, put it like this. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When Jesus was born, as Matthew records for us in his gospel, he was given the name Jesus because he was coming to save his people from their sins. Jesus was born to die. His mission would lead him ultimately to the cross, where he would bear the sins of the world, our mess, on himself. We have three young children, Hudson, Elliot and Grace, six, five and two years old. Our kitchen often has messes in it, spills. It's hard, it's hard to imagine a, a tea time where there's not at least one cup spilled or something on the floor. So kitchen roll is just a needed commodity in our house all the time. And I just love watching anytime there's a spill, just setting a couple of layers in kitchen roll and just watching it absorb the mess. In a sense, Jesus on the cross, he absorbed the mess of our sin and our darkness and our offenses against God into his very person. Our sins, our rejection of God, our offenses are, you could say, like an itemized credit card bill that we have run up against God. And the problem is we can't pay God back for those offenses. But when Jesus died on the cross, bearing the sin of the world, he cried at the end of his life, it is finished. And if you've ever wondered what that statement means, in a sense, Jesus was saying, I have paid the debt of sin in full. He died and on the third day rose again to show that he had overcome death, overcome our sin mess, and overcome everything that can cause our hearts to fear. And we are told in John's gospel now, in light of what Jesus has done, we have the option to receive him and be welcomed back into a relationship with God where there is peace between God and man. Or we can keep rejecting God, rejecting the light, rejecting Jesus to be our own masters and stay in that place that the Bible calls darkness. So Christmas is indeed an indictment, but it is an indictment that is followed up with the best news in the universe. Our God has done something about our darkness problem and our mess. And what God has done is he has sent his son Jesus to die so that we could be forgiven and know peace with God. In Matthew's gospel that we read earlier, Jesus is given a second name. Not just Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He's given the name Emmanuel, which we're told means God with us. And that second name of Jesus, in a sense, speaks to us of the glorious end, the purpose, everything Jesus came to do in the end was to bring us into a place where we could know God with us. Last night, my wife Lindsay just said, Steve, if you're going to summarize Christmas in one statement, what would it be? And I just thought about that for a little while. And in a sense, I'd thought about what I'd prepared for just finishing up this afternoon. 
I think, in a sense, in the two names given to Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, we have a wonderful summary of Christmas. His name shall be called Jesus because he will save their people from their sins. And you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because Jesus saves from sins, we can know Emmanuel, God with us. A few years ago, I watched the movie A Theory of Everything, I think it was called. Do you remember where Eddie Redmayne played Stephen Hawking? There is a scene in that movie where Stephen presents his theory of a space-time singularity at the beginning of everything. And he gained his doctorate. And after he gains his doctorate, his professor asks him, what now? What will you do now? And Stephen Hawking explains to his professor what he called his driving passion to find one single elegant equation to explain the existence of everything. I don't have a single equation here that deals with the intricacies of theoretical physics, but I do believe I have one single elegant equation that explains the true joy we celebrate at Christmas, and it is simply this. Jesus equals Emmanuel. He saves equals God with us. Maybe like me and my wife and I on December the 1st, You came this afternoon thinking, this will be nice, this will be cosy, lovely wee Advent reflection, Christmas carol service in the middle of the busy Christmas season. Maybe like me, you were coming expecting a nice nostalgic, cosy experience, but perhaps something has grabbed your attention and you have started to realize, wow, really, yes, we have to see the indictment of Christmas before we realize the true joy. That joy can be yours. If you will receive Jesus and believe in him and accept everything he has done for you. That church father, Augustine, said, God, you have made us for yourself. But, oh, Lord, our hearts are restless. They are restless until they find their rest in you. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's our prayer that you'll know the rest and peace that there is in Jesus through this Christmas season. Amen.
Thank you, everyone. If you want to take a seat, just as we finish, um, I want to thank a few people um, who, without whose help, we just couldn't have made this happen today. So I want to thank, uh, on your behalf, the Salvation Army, who very kindly brought along a super band and played the music for us today. Um, Super job, thank you. And also to our caterers and uh, to the stewards as well, who are among you um, as well. And, 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 and also to Steve, who spoke uh, and brought um, some uh, God's word to us um, this lunchtime. Uh, so thank you so much to you all for taking part. Um, if you have a look on your seats, um, you will have a little leaflet, a little flyer. Uh, and also on the back of your order of service, there'll be a little blurb as well. And that tells you something of um, gospel in the city, um, something that we do every Wednesday lunchtime, where we come together and meet in the Clayton Hotel just for a short time every Wednesday lunchtime, really to explore a little bit about what the Bible says about this Jesus who Steve was speaking about. So if that struck a chord with you today, you would be very welcome to come along any Wednesday lunchtime that you are free to the Clayton Hotel. It talks about food and hot drinks there as well. Um, and just for a brief time, as together we explore some of these questions, what it means to follow Jesus and why anybody would want to do that in Belfast city centre in the 21st century. So do, do come along and, and, and think about that. Um, we'll be around after we finish here, so if you have any questions, do please come and speak to us. We'll be happy to help, or indeed the person who maybe invited you along today. Um, if you have time, there are some, some more refreshments left. Do, do enjoy those. My wife was preparing those last night, and she'll be very glad that uh, they've, been, they've been enjoyed today. Um, but thank you so much for coming, and it just remains for me to wish you a very peaceful and a happy Christmas this year um, and perhaps sometime over the Christmas period, you'll have time to reflect on Jesus. Um, so can I ask the bandmaster to lead us as we, as we file out um, for the, the last uh, song? Thank mm-hmm. you.